Well, we are uh, continuing our series called Reconciled in Christ and with each other. And as I shared last week, we're going to spend not only beginning last week, but for the next three weeks at least, um, going through and fleshing out the covenant that we shared as leaders at our repentance and restoration service um, on the 23rd of January. And so last week we looked at our first covenant. And last week we also looked at how to have the hard conversations um, with people, which is really, really tough at times, isn't it? Hard conversations, hence the reason why they're hard, right? Hence the reason why they are not easy. Um, and I think for me, there are, there are, in addition to Matthew 18, which is what Jesus shared in terms of how to go to a brother and sister who has sinned against you and how to address those concerns and those sins that they may have caused you, there is, I think, in part of that spirit, that desire, and I think in addition to the words and the pattern that Jesus laid out, that behind that, I think there's a desire that I, I, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a late pastor theologian who was martyred um, by the Nazis um, just before the camp he was in was liberated by the Allies. Uh, it came down pretty much direct orders from Hitler himself to make sure, no matter what, to put Dietrich Bonhoeffer to death. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, of course, if you didn't know, was a part of Valkyrie, which was the plot to assassinate Hitler, which, okay, you're going to do that. You probably will die if it doesn't go well. And it didn't go well. Um, but he wrote a wonderful, in addition to so many works that he did. And by the way, I think he was 39 when he died. He was really young. Um, and yet he had time in that space of his life, as short as it was, to write some unbelievable works that even to this day have absolutely influenced Christianity, and I believe for the better. One work that he wrote was a book called Life Together, and it is a wonderful book, and it's not a very long book, but it is a very meaty book. And I love books, and by the way, someone said this, and I would, and I would agree with them. If you really want to read books, good books, make sure you read books by dead people. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, there is such a wealth of knowledge by people who have gone on before us, classic works of, of literature, if you will, um, in general, right? Um, but also specifically in, in Christianity, that I think we are, we are, we would, we shorten our understanding and we cheapen ourselves if we don't at least dip our toes into the waters of some of these, you know, unbelievable giants of the Christian faith. That, who have, that have gone on before us. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, is one of those who has gone on before us. And here's another reason why I would encourage you to read works by dead people. Um, chances are those works did not have to meet a certain page number in order for them to be published. They did not have to meet a certain bar for them to be marketed as we oftentimes encounter today. So those works that are oftentimes um, by others who have gone on before us. It's all meat. It's all meat. They did not have an editor to say, well, we will not publish this unless it reaches a certain page number. You are getting all meat, and it's heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. It's interesting that next to the Bible, which is oftentimes regarded as the all-time best-selling work um, in all of pretty much human history, which, by the way, guess what? The work written by dead people, 
now, right? But inspired and led by the Holy Spirit, which is why this is the living word of God, even though it's on print, um, is that the second oftentimes noted best-selling book is a book entitled The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. I have read that book twice now. It is phenomenal. Now, before some of my former brothers and sisters who were Catholics, um, yes, it was written by a Catholic, if you will. But let me just say this. Catholics can also know Jesus and do know Jesus. Um, and uh, Catholics have a lot to, to, that we can learn from. And this was written by a Catholic. And it is a phenomenal book that can be taken in bite-sized chunks. But it is, again, all meat. And oftentimes, if you are even, you know, those of you who are, you know, advanced enough to want to read on a Kindle reader, you know, right? I, I love it how some people say, no, I love, the, I love the smell of paper. Yeah, I'll get you a spray. You can just spray your Kindle, your Kindle with paper smell. If you like the smell of paper, I like the feel of paper. I'm just kidding, right? If you want to read it. Oftentimes, these classic works are really cheap, if not downright free. Does not cost much. Maybe 99 cents. Maybe. Oftentimes, they're free. I say all that to say this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in this wonderful work, Life Together, I think really touches on the spirit of what was, I think, in many ways behind Matthew 18. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes the following. Nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing, let me say that again, can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. These words and the importance of having the hard conversations as shared in Matthew 18 I believe, will be so crucial as we look at the second covenant statement that we come to this morning. In other words, whether or not we believe this, and whether or not we are going to a person to have a hard conversation, or whether or not we are the person receiving this hard conversation, I hope that we understand it is a work and a practice of compassion. It is a work and a compassion of love that we do this in, not judgment not hate, not lacking in mercy. And yet I understand it isn't always received that way. I get it. But it is so crucial. It is so crucial that we be willing to have these hard conversations. It is that idea that I want us to carry with us today as we come to the second covenant statement that we shared with all of you on January 23rd at our repentance and reconciliation service. And here is the second covenant statement that I want to share with you this morning. I want to flesh this out. And it's this. To live in mutual accountability and to encourage each other to grow in Christ-likeness and to reflect him in all things, to all people, and at all times. Let me read that again. And I want that to soak in just a little bit. To live in mutual accountability... And to encourage each other to grow in Christ-likeness and to reflect Him in all things to all people and at all times. That is in some ways the spirit behind having hard conversations, but it is also going to be what we are going to look at this morning as we move on to what what does this look like in some way to live in mutual accountability and to encourage each other to grow in Christ-likeness. What does that look like? 
And today we're going to, or at least I am, not you, hopefully I will succeed in this. If not, that's okay. Next Sunday will be another opportunity. Um, is that trying to put some flesh around what does this look like to live in mutual accountability and to encourage each other to grow in Christ-likeness? What does that look like? That's what I want us to kind of delve into this morning. And by the way, this is not the only way that this can look. And I just want to share that with you. This is a multifaceted, multi-way of looking at how this could be achieved. Okay? So I only have time for one way to show you today. It's not the only way, but it is a way. And to do that, I want to take, us, take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses out of this chapter. So if you have a Bible with you, you may want to take that out. If you have a phone with you, you may want to look it up on version or whatever Bible app you might have. Because I think in this passage, my hope is, we will discover what some very important key characteristics of community is in the church. Okay, what community is in the church. So let me read this passage and then go back and flesh out what some of these characteristics are in community in a church. The Apostle Paul writes the following, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, as to the periods and times, brothers and sisters, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord is coming just like a thief in the night. Okay? We've heard this before. Jesus shared this. This is nothing new to us. That we know that Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is going to happen. And when it happens, he is going to come as a thief in the night. Brothers and sisters, let me just share with you that oftentimes I think as Christians, we misinterpret this, that we are going to be surprised when Jesus' coming happens. And that's not what Paul is saying here. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we know he is going to come when we least expect it. Least being not that when we least expect it, but when those who don't know Jesus least expect it. We know he's coming and we know he's going to come All of a sudden, it's going to happen. But we should not be surprised when all of a sudden he shows up. I think sometimes as Christians, you're like, oh, I got to make sure I'm ready for Jesus to come back. And the way that I know I can make 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 sure that Jesus, that I'm ready for Jesus to come back is to know when he is going to come back. So I can get everything ready. I can get the house ready. I can get everything decorated. I can make sure I have the right food out. You know, it's kind of like Santa Claus on Christmas, right? Right? We go through a lot of, if you're a parent, right, putting out the... Um, getting everything ready, getting, putting out the cookies and the milk and making sure that Santa Claus has everything he needs so when he visits, he will have something to eat. You are ready for Santa Claus. The tree has space around it for the gifts, all that kind of stuff. We are preparing for the coming of Santa Claus. And yet we don't know exactly when he comes during the night. All we know is that he's coming. And we wake up on Christmas morning and there are gifts under the tree There are stuff in our stockings and the cookies are eaten and the milk has been drank or drunk or whatever. Whatever the terminology, right way to say that is. The English language is really confusing sometimes. Um, I mean, we know this. We are not surprised that Santa Claus will show up on Christmas night. We're not surprised by that. We as Christians should not be surprised when Jesus comes. It's those that don't know Jesus will be surprised and be like, I didn't know he was coming. 
I didn't know he was going to show up. We know he's going to show up. So that's what Paul is addressing here. He goes on in verse 3 and says this. While they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape it. Okay? What an interesting analogy. Right? Jesus is going to come, and it's not going to be pretty. And the whole time, they're going to think that they're living in peace and safety. Boom, Jesus will come. Sudden destruction will come upon them. That is judgment. And like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they will not escape it. What an interesting analogy. Oftentimes, ladies, you may not know when you go into labor, but when it happens, guess what? You got to go through it all the way. Right? You can't say, time out, I'm not doing this. I want out of this deal. You can't do that. Sorry? Definitely want to, I heard. I know nothing about that. Amen. (laughs) But definitely want to. You cannot escape it. Once you are there, you're there. You cannot, there is no getting out of it. Paul goes on and says this, but you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that the day would overtake you like a thief for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night and nor of darkness. So then, let's not sleep as others do, but let's be alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. Well, that's true, usually. But since we are of the day, let's be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. Now, this is in some ways a beautiful picture, whether or not you believe it or not, of community and how we can, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, through mutual accountability, build each other up, encourage each other to be more like Jesus Christ. And here are some things that I think are interesting about the characteristics about Christian community. About Christian community. And this is what I want us to focus in on this morning. Several characteristics about Christian community that help us to do this. To help us to build each other up and to help us to be accountable. The first is this. Christian community is not ordinary. Let me say that again. Christian community is not ordinary. This is what I mean by this. Christian community, the gathering of us even right now in this place, at this time, in these chairs, this is not an ordinary thing that happens. This is not ordinary. Do you know why this is not ordinary? Because whether or not you believe it, we are not ordinary. We are not ordinary. Paul himself says it in these passages that we just read. Paul says, guess what, Christians, brothers and sisters? You are not ordinary. You are sons of the day. You are sons of the light. You are not ordinary. We are not ordinary. We are representatives. We are reflections of Jesus himself. We bear his image. We are not ordinary. And let me extend it even further beyond this. 
No one, whether they know Jesus Christ or not, is ordinary. Everyone is extraordinary. And it's a beautiful thing. It just matters what are we extraordinary or reflecting in our nature, in our image. C.S. Lewis, I think, really touches on how extraordinary we all are when he says the following. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. Small G's, brothers and sisters. Okay, not big G's. Okay. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Either sons of light and glory and day, or sons of night and horror. One or the other. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. Do you hear me? There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Do you believe that? You are not ordinary. You are much bigger than that. You are more than just a mortal person. You either are a son and daughter of glory and of day and reflecting the image of Jesus, or you are not. But let me just say this. All of us are destined for eternity. All of us are destined for much greater things and a, and a revealing in which if we saw ourselves today for what we will be like in the full presence of Jesus Christ, I guarantee you we would never leave the mirror. We wouldn't be able to leave. We would just be in awe. Do you believe that every single person you encounter is not ordinary? Do you believe that every single person you encounter, no matter how they might be as simply ordinary or simply as just normal or whatever else, or annoying or whatever else they might grade on you, that that person is not ordinary? That they are not mere mortals? That, it, that they are, in fact, extraordinary that they are more than just what you see in front of you. Brothers and sisters, what happens here in Christian community is not ordinary because the gathering, all of us, we are not ordinary people. We are not ordinary people. We are sons and daughters of the day. We are sons and daughters of the glory of Jesus Christ. We are destined for salvation and not judgment. What we do here is not ordinary. We are not ordinary people. Now, don't let that go to your heads. Okay? Obviously, the temptation to walk out and say, hey, I am, I am extraordinary. You are. You really are. But so am I. And so is that person, and that person, and that person. They're extraordinary. They're extraordinary. And, and our coming together in community will hopefully reveal some of that extraordinariness that is in each and every one of us. 
that because we are made in God's image, we are image bearers of the, of the almighty creator himself. That is no ordinary thing. No ordinary thing at all. You know what I think is so tragic in many ways in our society and our culture today is when people are body shamed for how they look. That they are, that they are torn down because they don't have the right kind of hair or the right kind of facial features or the right kind of frame. What an awful thing. What an absolutely horrible, horrible thing that we have done to others. I was just reading just this week about the increase of eating disorders among teenagers again. It's spiking again. That's awful to look at yourself and to believe that you are unworthy. To look at yourself and to think and believe that you are ugly. And to think that you are fat or whatever else. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, and I hope that you gain anything from this service today in this message particularly. If anything that you gain from this, you hear this, and that's this. You are made in God's image, brothers and sisters. You are holy and precious. You are more than you could ever possibly imagine. You are not ordinary. You are extraordinary. You are lovely. You are beautiful. And by golly, you stay that way. Don't you let anybody tear you down. Don't you let anybody tell you you are ugly. Don't you let anybody tell you that. You are made in God's image. You are beautiful. You just don't know it yet. And I hope that in a gathering like this, we experience and are affirming each other in our extraordinary way of who we really are community is so important in christian community it is vital because when we gather hopefully we are reaffirming to each other that you know what you're a son you're a daughter of the almighty living god he loves you you reflect his image you are bearers of who he is that in some way as we gather as as christians and in a time like this that it is an affirmation that he made you and you are beautiful. Amen? Do you believe that? Or have you let the world so infuse you with those false beliefs of how you think you should look that you can't even understand or even fathom the fact that how God has made you now, you are beautiful. You are so precious. And I hope that if anything, you will gain a little sense of how precious you are just by in the gathering of us here this morning. You are precious. Never forget that. Paul says that here, in essence. You are also precious. You are not ordinary. Here's the other thing about Christian community. Christian community is hopeful. Christian community is hopeful. Paul writes that Jesus is coming. We know he's coming. And instead of being scared of the fact that Jesus is coming, guess what we should be? Hopeful. It's going to happen. He is going to come back. He is going to bring us to where he wants to be. He is going to bring us to his presence. We are going to be with him. We are going to be transformed. It's going to be a glorious day. He is going to set all things right. 
We are hopeful that that day is coming, and it is coming soon. We don't know exactly when, but when he shows up, we will not be surprised. Why will we not be surprised? Because the Apostle Paul has said, Jesus has given us three things to help us know that we don't need to be scared and that we can have confidence of his coming. One of these is faith, and the other is love. And then finally, it's the assurance that we are indeed saved. That we are not being set up to be judged, but rather we are being set up to be saved. Christian community is hopeful. Absolutely hopeful. And it is my hope that as we gather together, that we in some ways are reminded of the fact that Jesus is coming. And there is a lot of hope in that. That we are looking forward to that day when he comes. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 says this. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. For by it the people of old old gained approval. And by faith we understand that the world has been created by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. Faith is that unbelievable expectation of saying, guess what? God made all of this. God said he is going to come back and restore it all. God said if we believe in Jesus Christ, we will be saved and we will not face judgment, eternal damnation, but instead we will be with him in eternity. And guess what? We are hopeful that that day will come and it will come because why? Because we have faith in what he has said. We have faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, we, have, we know that because he loved us that we now can love each other boldly because of that. And we know with confident assurance that we are saved, not because of anything we do, but because of Jesus himself guarantees it. We are saved. We are saved. Brothers and sisters, we ought to, as Christians, be the most hopeful people in the entire world. You know what my concern is? I think we are sometimes takes on, take on the culture around us and even the attitude around us And sometimes we become just as negative and naysayer and hopeless as others. Sometimes you might have encountered someone saying, boy, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And there might be some Christians saying, yeah, oh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it really is. I don't know. This is just awful, right? This is just awful. And maybe sometimes they will say, but you know what? Whew, I'm glad I don't have to be here when all that happens. I get a one-way ticket out of this thing. Yeah, but guess what, brothers and sisters? Because of our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have other tickets that we can be handing out. We're ticket agents, in some ways. But we act like that. Nope, sorry. It's one-way ride on Blue Origin or whatever, you know, Tesla or whatever Elon Musk's SpaceX thing is, you know, I get to go. I paid my dues kind of thing. Sometimes I think as Christians, we are just as fearful as the culture around us. We are just as hopeless as the culture around us. We are just as much a part of what they are saying and doing. And that's wrong. That's not the way we should be. That's not the way we should be. One pastor, I think, remarked, and I believe he was right when he said this, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. In this gathering, as we are doing right now, we ought to be hopeful that what we are hearing, 
that what we are learning, that whom we are worshiping, he is coming back. He is going to do everything he promised. He is going to fulfill everything he said, and he is going to do it soon. It's going to happen. That ought to make us excited. That ought to make us hopeful. We ought to walk out of these doors with a hop in our step. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I don't oftentimes hear Christians with that kind of excitement. It's more like, oh gosh, Jesus is coming back. (laughs) Oh man, Jesus is coming. I'm freaked out. Stop it. We got to be hopeful. This is good stuff. Here's the third one. Christian community is life together. Christian community is life together. As the Apostle Paul shared in this passage out of 1 Thessalonians, the reality is is that Jesus is coming back. Our gathering, we are not ordinary people. We know that Jesus is coming back and we are hopeful for that time. And as such, he has given us faith and love and the assurance of salvation. But guess what? Those three things are best utilized in community. You want to know the extent of one's faith? You want to know the extent of one's love? Do you want to know the assurance of our salvation? It is not when we are sitting alone and not a part of a Christian community. We know the extent and can experience in many ways the depth of those things when we are in community with each other. If you really want to know what it's like to love like Jesus loved, get in a community with people who know Jesus, who love Jesus, but are as fallen as you and try to love them. You want to deepen your faith? Get into a community of fellow believers who, as we are going along, experience unbelievable heartache, unbelievable pain, unbelievable fracturing. And yet through it all, we see people who are unwavering in their faith in Jesus Christ. And we look to them and say, I want to be like them. You want the assurance that you are indeed saved? Get involved in a community, a Christian community, a church in which people who gather together under the assurance of salvation every single week coming together, worshiping and praising Jesus Christ for the work that he has done in our lives and the promises that we hold on to collectively. That guess what? I do not travel this road alone, but I get brothers and sisters to travel it with me that if I'm ever in doubt of the fact that I am saved, I hope that one day I can come here and know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has indeed saved me. We need each other. We need each other. If you want to experience what it's like to love and to serve, get involved in a Christian community. Jesus has given us these tools, but they are useless unless we use them in Christian community. I want to give you one small example this morning, and I'm going to embarrass some people doing it, and I apologize ahead of time. All right? Isaiah, Hattie, and Jojo. Jojo's not here. 
you know what they were doing this morning while you all were? <laughs> Getting ready, eating your breakfast nonchalantly, all that kind of stuff. They were here. They made the coffee this morning, and they put out all the refreshments. They made the lemonade. They stocked the, 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 the uh, napkins out there. They stocked the creamer. Did any of you have any doubt that when you came to church today that there was going to be coffee and tea and refreshments? Some of you had greater faith that there was going to be that stuff out there than the fact that Jesus is going to come back. (laughs) Those three students got up and came with their parents. They didn't have a choice. I get that. But while they were here, do you know how they learned how to make coffee? Every Sunday they're here with Tom. And by the way, can I just say to the two of you who are here and to Jojo who's not, this is really good coffee. Give him a hand. Absolutely. Do you know what another reality of Christian community is? Is that anyone at any age has something to contribute. That anyone at any age can love, have faith, and have the assurance of salvation. Have the assurance that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, we can know with confidence that we're going to be saved. He is not setting us up for judgment. He is setting us up to be saved. That's the importance of Christian community. No wonder Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25 says this. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He who who was promised is faithful. Faithful to do what? To come back and to save us when he does. He is faithful to fulfill this. And let's consider then how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. In love and good deeds. Even doing something as simple as making coffee is a love act that in many ways, whether or not you believe it, whether or not you even realize it, is an affirmation that guess what? We are going to be saved. Jesus is going to come back. How do I know? There's coffee. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. How do I know he's going to come back? Because we worshiped him today. We sang songs to him. How do I know he's going to come back? Because preaching was done from the scriptures, hopefully. How do I know he's going to come back? Because I finally got to see A, B, and C, or that individual who I only get to see once a week, but when I see that person, I love seeing that person. I love spending time with that person. That person pours into me, and I pour into them. It's an encouragement. We pray for each other. We love each other. We get to sit in summit groups with each other, and it's a wonderful thing, and I get to leave here knowing, oh, I'm hopeful. This has been a good thing. This has been a good thing. Another way that we're challenged, I think, in life together is that it is hard. It is not easy. Not only is it hard to love each other, especially when we're not being very lovable. Not only is it hard to sometimes have faith when we have just come off a week in which it's just been really, really tough. 
Not only is it hard when we doubt whether or not we are saved because we doubt our value itself because of what we have been told the entire week, but we are also challenged because when we come together, we open up the scriptures and we learn, hopefully, what it is that God is saying to us. And here's where it really gets challenging. I heard someone say that this this week and I love it. It says, we are challenged to look at people the way that Jesus does, and to be, and to think and be more like Jesus. And in addition to that, when we open up the scriptures, that all of a sudden that what we are hoping that will happen is not affirming what we think is actually in the Bible, but what is actually in the Bible. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. When you come to church on Sundays, do you hope that myself or any other pastor who might be preaching up here just affirms what it is you already think is in the scriptures? Or do you actually want to know? Do you actually want to know? Careful. <laughs> it doesn't always line up pretty. I'm always weary of people who have, who have their theology settled. And what I mean by that is everyone who, people who have every single aspect of their theology set. Sometimes I'm not only worried about it, but sometimes I'm kind of, okay, let's see what God does here. Anyone who tells me that they have God all figured out is a person who is in for a rude awakening. Who is in for a rude awakening. Brothers and sisters, we need each other to grow together. We need each other because it is hard enough being a Christian, let alone being one who do, does all this alone. We need each other. Community is life together, warts and all warts and all but what we do here is not ordinary what we do here is hopeful so important and what we do here hopefully is transformative the late catholic priest henry nowen who by the way is one of my favorite spiritual writers he's one of the few that i have read at least he's written so many books but luckily, they're small books, but they're meaty, all meaty. Again, dead people. <laughs> I've read one of his books at least four, four or five times. I just love it. You know what I also love about him? Is that he was a person, a Catholic priest, who dealt with urges of homosexuality, but never, ever followed them. He was celibate. And not only that, he taught at Harvard but never got tenure there and spent the remaining life of his life rather as a priest and a chaplain and a spiritual guide to mentally disabled people at a home in Toronto, Canada. And just served. Whenever he would go and speak, because he was a fairly popular speaker, he would always take a resident with him. Unbelievable. This is what he said about the transformative nature of community. When we claim and constantly reclaim the truth of being the chosen ones, right? It's tempting to think we are chosen. We are. We are chosen. We soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Do you hear that? A 